Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy two sharp reds with Mark Schwartzer and Ollie Geel. Welcome back to another episode of the Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son, but now, of course, only fifth favourite Silver Fox, uh, Mark. Pour me another Sangria Schwarzer. We've taken pretty much full advantage of the international break. Of course, when I say full advantage, I had to work for most of it and pretty much nearly hyperventilated once on the tube. And again, on the other hand, Mark has been living it up in his home in Spain, so it's all fair game here at uh, the Two Sharp Reds. And Mark, are you excited to be back in England and and getting into another episode? It's great to be back, and I'm excited. It's a lot's happened. Obviously, I've stayed in touch with what's yep. going on in the Premier League, the world of the Premier League, international football, as we all know. But yeah, I'm excited. It's been brilliant. Well, let's get into it. Of course, last week we uh, uh, had a bottle of wine brought to you by Milos Degenek, which was fantastic, a beautiful Serbian wine. But luckily, it's my turn to, to come through with the goods. Uh, and we've got a very special message uh, from Mr. Brad Ebert. Hey, guys. It's Brad Ebert from the Port Adelaide Football Club. Uh, but more importantly for this podcast, hey to the wines. Firstly, thanks to Heat for having my wine on the show, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Now, I thought I'd give you a quick bit of info about the wine. Hey Diddle itself came from a pipe dream myself and teammate Tom Jonas had a few years ago. Uh, we've had a passion for wine, and then being based in Adelaide, we found we were in the perfect spot to learn and start something pretty cool. We've got a Shiraz, we've got a Montepulciano, a Cab Blend, a Sangiovese, and a Rosé. I think the wine you're about to try is our 2018 Shiraz. I'll let, you, uh, I'll let you make your own mind up about what you're tasting and your overall thoughts. Uh, but I hear, Mark, you like your wine a little bit softer, so I'll be interested to hear what you think about uh, what you've got in front of you. Anyway, enjoy, boys, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts. That's got a good pour, hasn't it? Very solid wine indeed already. So, yeah, coming from the Haydiddle wines in the Barossa Valley... Um, Mark, you know how much I like a South Australian red, so I'm really excited to get stuck into this one. All right, Mark, thoughts? We are trying the Shiraz, my favourite type of wine. Very, very much popular in the South Australian region. It's quite heavy. but Very full-bodied. That has, you know, you, you talk, we talked about longevity in the past. That's still got things going on in my back of my throat yeah that's kicking and screaming almost in the back of my throat that that's that's really saying listen don't don't let me go i'm still here and i'm gonna let you know that i'm still here all right well i look forward to getting to the halftime drinks and just um seeing as to, to what we might be thinking as to what this bottle of wine reminds us uh of in terms of a player but let's get stuck into the premier league and more importantly the sack race because Mark, I tell you what, it's been a, a pretty eventful little 10 days since we've last done the Two Sharp Reds podcast. It has. You know what? I can't remember a time in the Premier League when we've had so many managers under extreme amount of pressure at one time. I mean, we're talking, at this moment in time, we're, probably, we're talking, what, six managers who could face the sack within a number of, like, the next week or two. 
you know, whether that's Unai Emery, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether that's Manuel Pellegrini, uh, Marco Silva. Yeah. The list goes on. So I suppose let's start with the obvious with, with Jose Mourinho and more so the fallout from the weekend because obviously we've seen the, the reaction of, of obviously Pochettino leaving Spurs and the incredibly emotional message he wrote on the whiteboard because he, he didn't even have time to say goodbye to his team, which is heartbreaking in itself. The brutality of football, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's, it is. that's another other extreme, isn't it? I mean, a guy that's accomplished so much in terms of building a team, like, you know, silverware, we all know that there isn't silverware to add to what he's legacy he's left the club. But you look at that squad, you look at those players, you look at those individuals, you look how much some of those players have progressed, like your Harry Kane, Deli Ali. Yes, the last 12 months, 18 months, Deli Ali has been a shadow of himself. Uh, Eric Dyer is the same. However, there are so many more successful stories in terms of Mauricio Pochettino and the development of players within that, that club. What did we make of uh, Mourinho's first game in charge? Were, there weren't any major surprises. I think maybe leaving Ericsson out was making a bit of a statement, uh, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, but his previous comments about Christian Ericsson uh, in terms of when he was a, a pundit on, on, on TV here in the UK, he, he said that he would also leave Ericsson out. You know, I'd tell him. I'd get rid of him. He doesn't want to stay. He's made it off. He made it very clear he doesn't want to stay. You've got to look forward. You've got to look to the future. Now he's out of the frame. Um, and you, you look for the, for the next player coming in. And he was very clear with that. Uh, what I liked, there was a couple of selections that he made that I was a big fan of. The first one was Lucas Moura. Mm-hmm. How Lucas Moura hadn't been starting more often is beyond me. Then... The, the, the other one is a typical Mourinho sort of decision was Eric Dyer and Harry Winks together in midfield. Two players that can play, can play. Harry Winks is definitely better with the ball than, than Eric Dyer, but they also can be very defensive-minded, uh, particularly Eric Dyer. And he wanted to shore up midfield. When I've watched him in the past, M. Dombelli, he, he's, he's one of those players that there are elements of his game that are really exciting and you see him and you think he's a good player, but then... He makes runs forward. He congests the space in between the midfield players and the strikers. The space, the very space where Deli Ali flourished mm-hmm. on the weekend. So I don't think it's a coincidence that it's Mourinho starting and Deli Ali's all of a sudden pulled out of the hat. He's also, he, there's a number of things. Mourinho is obviously a big factor in terms of, it hasn't just been because a change of manager, it's because of the change of personnel. And it's also very key is that Mourinho's discussions with Deli Ali. And what we're hearing is he's gone up to Deli Ali and his first comment was, um, is this is this Deli Ali, the Deli Ali, or is this is this his brother? Mm. And that is such a classical kind of sort of comment. I mean, I remember at Middlesbrough, we had uh, Yukubu, and uh, what a player, what a striker, loveliest, loveliest guy in the world. You know, he, he was like this 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 big bear that you wanted to cuddle and was so friendly. You know, a bit like yourself, of course, and. He, he yeah, eye for goal. At times, you could accuse him of being a little bit lazy and so forth, but that was just yak. But there was one season where he'd had enough, he'd had his head turned, and he had an opportunity to go to Everton. And that was, and, and from his perspective, it was all done. So he'd agreed everything. The club weren't budging. Steve Gibson, the chairman of Middlesbrough, had this thing of not wanting to let players go. And, and yak, um, he, he, the manager decided to play him that weekend. I think it was Gareth Southgate was the manager. Decided he was going to play him that weekend's game. Um, because they're adamant he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen anything like it to this level. Yak played the game, and he started the game, and he was so bad. He didn't run. He literally moved two or three steps at a time. 
if the ball didn't go right to him where he had to take a touch, he let it go. And he just made a statement. I am not going to lift a leg. I'm not going to do a thing. And it was it was embarrassing. It was comical at times. But as a player and as a teammate and knowing Yak, it was just him going, right, I need to make this happen. And you're not going to let it happen unless I do something drastic. The very next training session, the news had broke. They'd agreed to sell him. So what he had done, it, mission accomplished. Mm. Didn't lift a leg. The club went, right can't do that they were outraged by it they took the 13 million pounds for him for some reason it didn't happen immediately and yak had to come to training still he turned up i'm telling you now we just went my god this is yukubu we've been playing with his brother for the last six months to 12 months because the real yaks actually turned up so he, what he did was he, he his deal was happening it was done and he decided to put a shift in because he knew he had to be in top form by the time he went to everton and it was unbelievable and it was that we said to him, we, we said to him, and he just, he just laughed. We said to him, oh, Yak, is you, this is the real Yakubu. Is your brother, your brother gone back home? Because your brother was useless. And he'd just laugh. And that was kind of the response I saw with Deli Ali almost. Yeah. That Mourinho's touched the right strings. He's played on the right strings. He's, and he's, he's embarrassed him a little bit. He said it in a joking way. I just can see how Mourinho does it. He said it. He's got that element of seriousness. So as a player, you're going, is he serious? Mm. Is he joking? Because he's laughing a little bit. Actually, there's a bit of both in there. Oh, I, I need to up my game. Otherwise- the footage we saw as well of that moment that I think you're talking about, he then goes up to Eric Dyer, and I'm sure everything Mourinho does is incredibly well calculated. But he almost, like you do with your border collie, just gives him a really big stroke on the head. And... Not in a weird way, but we go around and literally physically touch all of the players yep. to make that initial connection. Is that is that something that I'm assuming is, in, again, really well calculated and, and hence why he's such a, a people's person when it comes to the, the players? Yeah, he, he does. He definitely, everything is calculated. His responses, reactions in a changing room, half-time, pre-match, half-time, post-match have all been well thought out. And he's, he's, he's thought him out and he's got a particular reason in his head why he wants to behave in a certain way. I remember games at Chelsea where we were terrible first half. In terms of terrible in Chelsea's terms. And he'd come in and you're thinking at halftime he's going to tear shreds off people. Come in at halftime, very cool, very serious, calm. And he just went through the changes he wanted to make. Tactical, whether it was personnel, whether it was just tactics, whether it was just giving instructions. And then other times when you thought, actually, it was a decent first half, that he'd come in and he'd tear shreds out of people. Mm. And I remember one time, Salah, he took him off at half time. And I felt sorry for him. Salah was young, naive in a lot of ways, very, very wet behind the ears, struggled with life at Chelsea when he first came over. And he openly admits that now. He was immature. It was a big step for him. One that was probably, it was too far from at that particular moment. And Mourinho unleashed himself in the change room and he and he he kicked the table in the middle of the room he kicked it and threw things around the room and he, he yelled in the direction of Mo and took Mo off obviously said Salah you're off and then unleashed himself and I think Salah thought it was a direct response and unleashing on him personally there was part of it but it wasn't directed necessarily at him it was more directed at the rest of the team because he was off he could no longer influence the game. It was about who were left on the pitch. 
And he wanted to send a very, very clear message to people, every single person in that change room, not even just the players who were playing and going back out there. It was every single person, staff, everyone, the severity of this moment. And are you playing in this game? Because as well, if you're... Uh, this oh, one thing I don't that's know... That's below you're... the belt. No. That's below the belt. <laughs> no. You know I wasn't playing. No. It's, no. Okay, so it's why... <laughs> what are you doing in the changing room? So if you're not playing and you're on the bench, you're still involved with the... Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so what's your point of view? If you're probably not going to come on or you're thinking, you know, unless something, you know, injury happens... Yep. Are you just... St- Quiet in the corner going, geez, this is uncomfortable. I actually, I I really wanted to always listen to the the halftime meetings because I was really intrigued in how he dealt with various various circumstances. And I became even more intrigued because there were times where you thought he's going to unleash himself, like I was saying, and then he didn't. There were times where you thought, oh, all right, and he'd come in and just blast someone or blast the whole group. So it, it became even more more and more fascinating as, as, as each week went by to see how he'd react and, and then try and work out why he reacted. And sometimes you wouldn't work it out for a couple of days later mm. because you would see then the, the response. You would see his reasoning. There was a player that, that he'd bring in or he'd go at training and put his arm around a player and chat to them and, and lift them up again. And, and, there's, and there's no doubt. I mean, I got called to his room once or twice and, and it was more about my influence around the group. Obviously, I wasn't playing, or very rarely did I play. It was more about being a senior player, and players have respect, and you know you need to also help players and give them a gear up and keep them on their toes, and more of an influence and guide people and and show by example, but also let players know if they're not doing what they probably should be doing. And so that was really interesting. I remember saying to him, "But boss, like I've done nothing compared to most of these guys in this change room. How am I going to say something to him?" And he goes, don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate your experience and how the players respect you. So he was great at making you feel very special when he wanted to, when he when he felt, A, he needed you, B, he, he, he believed you were genuinely important to the group of players. And he was a big fan of the overall picture, not just his 11. I mean, I've been in teams like at Leicester with Claudio Ranieri. It was about... 13, 14 players. It wasn't about the big group. He, 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 was, he was mildly concerned about anyone else. But he had literally that season, there were 13, 14 players that he relied on the whole season, entire season, and that's it. Because Hitting did it with Australia at the World Cup in 2006, 2006. He had a group of sort of five or six players that could do no wrong. It didn't matter what they did. Were you part of that group? Pitch, no. On, off the pitch, they could do whatever they wanted. He would treat them differently. He would speak to them differently. And then there were the rest. Mm. And the rest he played with. And often he played mind games with. He demoralized some players. He played with them. He played with their mind. He messed them up. He tried to he tried to tip them over the edge. How does he do that? By completely putting them down at training, by making them run more. Players that were not playing, the next day would go and do a harder session. And he'd make it extra harder, and he and he and he kind of punish players that way. So and if he you took joy out of it, even if you're part of that six in a, in a pretty, I'm assuming from an outsider's point of view, a pretty close knit Australia side. How do those six not it's see funny, what's going out? It's, it's funny going because there's a couple of players that I'd kind of spoken to, um, and it all came, it all comes, it all relates to when I bought my World Cup diary book out back then. And it was about my experiences and what I saw and how I saw various things unfold. And most of it was about me and my position in the goalkeeping situation. And I remember speaking to, to Mark Viduka about it. And, and, and Mark was like, 
what are you, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. Like, what are you, and I, made, I said, didn't you see the way he treated various players? He goes, no. So some players just don't see it. I know I was spoken to Harry, you know, Harry Kuehl when he was coaching at Crawley Town. And I remember, you know, talking to him about it, about as a player and as a manager and as a player, he said, I didn't know, didn't care really, in yeah. all honesty, what happened outside of me. Yep. It was all about me. Whatever happened over there, he goes, most of the time I wasn't even paying attention. It was mm. more about me. And I was so selfish, so driven. That's all I cared about. And, and so people look at it different ways. And in that group, you, you have players that see things very, very differently. And particularly if you're treated in a certain way, you've got no reason really to look yep. at anything else unless it's blatantly, blatantly obvious. So one player that, uh, one manager, sorry, that really treated players with respect, of course, was the former Tottenham manager, Richie Pochettino. He would have been sitting there watching his, uh, his former team uh, play pretty well. For, for most parts of the game, of course, those two late goals led in from West Ham sort of put a little bit of a blemish on, on results. Certainly, if you got a 3-0 away you know, in your first game in charge, you'd be very happy. Uh, what's Poch thinking right now, watching, watching that? Not only what's he thinking in terms of, you know, is it almost like watching your ex-girlfriend start dating someone else and you've got to go, you just got to be happy for them? Or is it as well you'd be thinking, right, well, i just got to move on. What's my next move? I think there's no doubt. Okay, my experience when you when you leave a club, and when you leave a club under certain sort of cloudy sort of uh, situation, you know you you kind of feel like you've left on bad terms or you haven't been treated in a certain way. There's definitely resentment. There's definitely a, an element of I hope they don't do so well to begin with, because it's generally short term and you don't really genuinely mean it. It's more about your own ego. So. Uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, I would think that he's, he would have been very disappointed to have lost his job. But in all honesty, he'll look at it and he'll look at himself in the mirror at some stage. Maybe he even does it now already and go, yeah, fair enough. I get it. I understand why. I just wish they'd stayed with me a little bit longer maybe, give me a little bit more faith considering what we'd accomplished over the years. But then if you take the league form in isolation, he could have easily been sacked last season. Yep. But it was... The, it was it, the, the cracks were covered because of the run in the Champions League. So let's talk things that look out of place. One, Jose Mourinho in a Tottenham jacket, out of place. Wow. Me in the gym, out of place. You with a mullet, out of place. Pochettino at Arsenal. Does that look out of place? Not anymore. Be- because no. all... Po- I mean... It sounds bizarre to say, but here, because we are doing the, the, the sack race and who's next uh, in terms of managers losing their job, who no one knows. But we, do, we did see on the weekend that hashtag Emery out was trending on Twitter. Uh, and Unai Emery's very much under pressure at Arsenal. But and, Arsenal and don't have a habit. Be great. But Arsenal don't have a habit of sacking managers quickly. Listen, they let Wenger go on for, some would say, as, as you being an Arsenal fan. You would probably know a little bit better, but the, the general feeling was Wenger should have probably gone two or three years earlier. With, with, and I know we're talking about managers in very, very different stages of their careers at Arsenal. So Arsenal had a, an enormous amount of success early on. And, well, actually, throughout his whole career at Arsenal, let's be honest, because yeah. to finish in the Champions League positions for 20-odd years straight was unbelievable. And um, <clears throat> be careful what you wish for. And uh, you basically just have to read what you sow as Arsenal fans. Anyway, um, I just don't see it changing so quickly. No. 
I just see them staying with him a little bit longer. But isn't that what Arsenal fans in particular, I'm thinking, so you just touched on there, uh, Arsene probably, he was around the club for maybe two, three years too long. So shouldn't they have acted? But was he? Yeah, possibly. Because considering if they had the if they had the right option, the right manager, say like you, back when Jurgen Klopp came to Liverpool, if he was waiting in the wings and there was a chance for Jurgen Klopp to go to Arsenal, they should have absolutely have sacked Wenger there and then and brought Jurgen Klopp in. Now. That's easy to say that now because he lost his job at Dortmund after kind of fading out a little bit, having not such a good yeah. run back end of that, that, those, that season. That's why he lost his job. But if we're looking at Poch, he's had a great run. Yeah, but yes. then, but then, you know, he did a great job at Southampton. Yeah, but you know, we're talking about a Tottenham side, a club at the time, were a very different side. You know, a team that, a club that were up and down, yo-yo in terms of European qualification, and then not, and then being in the odd cup final, never really quite getting there. Yep, fading away, not making the Champions League positions too often in the past. So Poch was a bit of a risk. A guy that didn't speak a lot of English when he first signed there, he was a bit of a risk. A guy that had never won anything, so that was a gamble, which 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 played out unbelievably well. But you know they benefited hugely from it. So um, would you know? Listen, Arsenal would have had the opportunity to go and sign Jurgen Klopp back then if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. They obviously didn't want to. There were a whole lot of there were a host of managers that were available over the various number of times over years. That Arsenal just were not in the in in the in the market to replace Arsene Wenger. He, listen, we all know the revenue that he generated, the way he ran the club, continuously qualifying for Champions League football, the dollar that the pound signs were there. It didn't need change as far as the hierarchy were concerned. The club were running at the level they believe they they should have been. Of course, they would have ideally loved a trophy or two, but in the end, if you can guarantee, if a club, if a manager can guarantee, you told me a club in the league, a team in the league, that if you, as a manager, went there, I guarantee you the next 20 years straight, we're going to finish in the Champions League positions. How many clubs would say no? Yeah, not many. And then along the way, you're going to win trophies. It's not like you don't win trophies because Arsene Wenger won trophies. He's won FA Cups along yeah. the way. You know, he got two finals. Yep. He got. They, had, they, they, they flirted with the idea of potentially winning the Premier League. So how many clubs? Okay, you would say Chelsea, uh, Manchester City, Liverpool wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. The rest? Yeah. Spurs, if they could employ a manager right now that would guarantee them 20 years after one after another, Champions League position, they would snap their hand off. Of course they would. Of course they would. If Arsenal now had the opportunity of signing someone yeah. that was going to guarantee them 20 years yeah. again of Champions League football yeah. as an Arsenal fan and you win the odd trophy along the way, would you do it? Yeah, of course I would. You've won the Premier League in those last 20 years. Yeah. So you, you've won the Premier League two or three times. So in that... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 20 years, you're going to win the Premier League two or three times. You're going to win four or five trophies, six trophies. I, can't, I don't even know how many he's won over that time. Fair few. Probably even more. Any club almost would snap their hand off. So, Poch to Arsenal, yes or no? 
is would I think Arsenal will be absolutely crazy not to try and sign him. Half done drinks here on Two Sharp Reds. Um, Mark, I've just been I've been going silly on the on the hay diddle wine <laughs> at the moment. This is honestly um, it's nostalgic in the way that uh, I've explained to you before that this is why I like red wine in particular is because it evokes different things, a different type of grape. As silly and wanky as it might sound, honestly can make you think a certain way, feel a certain way, take you back to certain memories. And this is, I mean, this is taking me back to, to Brighton Beach, Glenelg Beach, and just, just sitting there in the 40-degree sun and some great times of my life. Would you have your wine chilled then? Mm. Oh, no. Maybe no. if I had a... If, if I had it's a, 30, 40, if like say it's 40 degrees heat, would well, you not have it chilled? Well, to be fair, admittedly, in Adelaide, if it's that hot, you only have your red wine towards the end of the evening. I about to say, yeah. Yeah, but middle of the day, if I was to have a, a, a Savvy B, I'd pop a, an ice cube in. Yes. That's that's more than fine. Um, of course, the, the wine that, we've, that we're having today is the Shiraz from Hey Diddle Wines, Barossa. As we touched on, um, coming from a bit of the love child, I guess you'd say, between Tom Jonas and Brady, but not in that way. Don't think like that, please. Sorry. Sorry. Just the way you explained it. Yeah, I know. I, I, as soon as it left uh, my mouth, I knew. But uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, I've touched on that I'm so envious of, of people in this position that they can um, essentially live out two major dreams of mine. And that's one, running out the highest level in sport. And then on their off days, they get to, to, to run a, a vineyard in, in such a great place like Adelaide is... Is this something that, that you would be interested in doing or have you thought about it? Because you, when we're sitting right now in your cellar, um, the, you've obviously... The oldest wine cellar in Claygate. In Claygate, yes. exactly. <laughs> we think. We've not knocked well, we're around. Just, we're just going to go with it. We're going to go with it. Uh, but this, this must be the sort of thing that you've at least thought about. Um, I, I've, I've briefly thought about it and thought that'd be pretty cool. Um, but then realised, you know what? I don't... You know, there's so much to do in life and enjoy life. And yeah, it would be kind of cool, but I enjoy drinking it way too much to, to then start to put so much effort in uh, in actually, sure. you know, growing the grape and, and producing wine. I know you leave that to experts and everything else, but I love the variety. I love the whole experience. So um, I think it's great that these guys have got into it. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Living two dreams, which is amazing. Yeah. Hey, have you thought about uh, what this wine's reminding you of? Because, of course, if you are a, a first-time listener of the Two Sharp Reds, we aim to, to drink the bottle of the, the wine and then compare it to a player, uh, past or present, towards the end. Have you got any clues right now? Um, no, no, I haven't got a specific player in mind. What I've got is the the feelings and the the... The, the emotions that I had drinking this wine. So the first touches in my mouth is that it explodes into my palate. It, 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 um, it's very, very strong. It's kicking and screaming in there. And it's like, as you're swallowing it, it doesn't want to let go. It actually just wants to stay there and keeps banging around on the back of your, your palate saying, don't forget me. Um, I'm not going anywhere. And it actually, it actually hangs around for quite some time. Um, and then it mellows out a little bit and then you kind of really get a whole different feeling to the wine and a different taste on the taste buds. So, yeah, listen, with a really, really nice piece of steak, mm. this, this would be brilliant. Okay, so let's continue the sack race uh, here, Mark. Um, so I'm looking at a few possible uh, managers to go next, and I'll tell you what, Sod's Law, by the time we've finished recording this episode, it's almost bound that one of these managers will go. But let's have a look at the lineup in the race at the moment. We've got Unai Emery, we've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, 
Manuel Pellegrini. We've got Ralph Husenhudel. You could probably say that better than Hasenhudel. I could. Hasenhudel. <laughs> Marco Silva <laughs> and Kike Flores Sanchez. Out of those six, who's the most likely to go in your in your opinion? I, I said last, uh, after the weekend, initially, I said uh, Manuel Pellegrini. I felt that would be probably the first one to go. However, since then, all the indications are that Marco Silva is going to lose his job. Mm-hmm. And makes sense. I mean, I think he's... He's flirted with with the idea of being sacked for a number of weeks now, and his record against teams on the the, the day of the game, mm-hmm. the time of the game, who are bottom of the table, is horrendous this season. And again, I'll go back to what we said. It, I think we said it a couple of weeks ago on our podcast that I said he looks clueless. Mm. He looks like he does not. He's like a rabbit in headlights. He does not know what he's doing in his team. They've got no direction. They've got no style of play. They they lack anything. I, I, I can't tell you anything. I can't put my finger on anything that they actually do that where I could say, actually, that I, I get what they're trying to play, what sort of system they're trying to play, how they're trying to break teams down. There, there is nothing about them. And he just looks more and more clueless as, as the way. I mean, it's not nice to say, but it just looks like he's really struggling to find any answers. And and it's reminiscent of Unai Emery now. Mm. The, the, the two of them are very, very similar in a lot of ways in, in terms of, at least Unai Emery, you can kind of see how they want it to play. Sure. But with Marco Silva, there's a clear lacking of any understanding. So out of the six that have been mentioned, is there a possibility that maybe one of these could replace the other? Could there be a little bit of a, a rearrangement of the puzzle, so to speak, because the only one I could see, if worse were to be say, say all six were be to be sacked tomorrow, mm-hmm. the one that I could see maybe is uh, Manuel Pellegrini. Right, maybe. Everton. He he's the only one that I could see. I mean, when you talk about the reports at the moment, are that potentially David Moyes or Eddie Howe. David Moyes is a short-term contract to the end of the season at Everton. And I, I, I just listen all the amount, most amount of respect for David Moyes and his career as a manager and what he did, particularly on his first stint at Everton, was excellent. Um, since then, he's he's had a really tough time. He did a good job, I thought, when he went to West Ham. But I just think Everton are beyond that now. I think Everton have moved to a different a different phase. They're a different club now to when he first managed them. Are they though? Yeah, no, they are. They're, they're, I mean, listen, they've got a different major major shareholder in the club. They have different visions. They they yeah. have a lot of money to spend on players. David Moyes has never he's he's been in the he's been in the position at Manchester United to have money have money and to buy players. It it, it failed miserably. Yep. And I just can't see him going back to Everton and being successful. I, I just don't see that happening. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like I, I, I think Everton, if I were Everton, if I were the owners at Everton, if I were the club there, I'd be going, listen, you know what? It's an unbelievable long shot, but I'd be getting onto Maurizio Pochettino's advisors. Well, I think that all six of these teams would at least be, why not? Just I mean, Watford, the I, in the mail. Watford, Southampton... Um, but you'd be silly not to even approach, I think. Yeah, what, Watford, Southampton, I can't... I, I just... No way in the world. No. I mean, Southampton, I don't think, because of history... Uh, mind you, saying that, Southampton fans are probably walking oh. back on their open arms. Um, but I just don't see that being a possibility. Everton is a very, very long shot. West Ham is a long shot. The, the two clubs where Maurizio Pochettino would be interested, I would think, are Manchester United and Arsenal. 
It's uh, you touched on it earlier how unbelievable it is just looking at these six managers that at one, at, all at the one stage in the season that the, either or could go. But what's probably more surprising out of this is that yes, okay, you've got. Uh, Southampton, you've got Watford, and I mean, to a certain degree, maybe West Ham, uh, you know, they're flirting with relegation, and you understand why the decision needs to be made there. But then you've also got three managers in in Arsenal, Manchester United, and Everton that are just underperforming. And so it's a really rare point in the season where there's so many different storylines coming into play. The question is, are the managers underperforming or is the club underperforming? So the club is definitely underperforming. Yep. Are the managers underperforming? See, I disagree with you on this, that I think when you're looking at West Ham, I thought their performance against Tottenham was... I thought it was decent. I, th- I honestly thought that they, they weren't that bad first, at all. First 45 minutes, they were woeful. They were terrible. It's the last 45 that counts, though, Mark. Well, only if you get a result. Yeah, well, and true. they didn't get a result. So the first 45 can rule out any opportunity and any chances of getting a result in the, in the next 45. And basically, that's what's happened. I mean, yeah, they, yes, they did fight their way back into the game, and that's a bit of that's a bit of the nervousness, that's a bit of the uncertainty, the the uh, lacking in confidence a little bit from from Tottenham um, that also allowed that. Uh, West Ham are performing horrendously under par. The manager, the players, you've got to take. Everyone has to take responsibility. It's not just ultimately what will happen is the manager will be the one that takes it. You know, will will we'll be the one that suffers the most. Sure, um, and that's just the the nature of the industry, and that's going to happen with all six of those potentially. Um, and and you look at Manchester United. Would another manager do a better job than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with that group of players? The fact is that the results are not justifying the the name Manchester United. It's not warranting what they expect, and also their budget and their player, the personnel. I mean, listen, you you go spend eighty odd million for Harry Maguire. Does he look like an 80-million-pound player? He's gone backwards since he's gone to Manchester yeah. United. And one would argue a number of things. And it's hard to know exactly uh, what's happening. But you could say, well, the players around him are not to the level that, that the rest of the players that he's used to playing with. So are we, are we saying that the players around him are not as good as the players he was at Leicester? Because mm. at Leicester, he's, 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 worth, he's an 80-million-pound player. He goes to Manchester United, he's, he's not that. He's probably getting for 40 now. If you realistically and talk about his current market value, yep. Um, even though I thought that eighty million was ex- extremely exaggerated, anyway. Um, so, I always believe that if you're a good enough player, if you are truly a really, really good player, you stand out in any team you go to. Mm. There are those players who are good players that can look very, very good in a very good side because they understand the game, they can read the game, they know the movements they need to make. They've got great players around them that find the pass. There's a lot of movement. It's like, going to, it's like you know, Ray Parler's a great example, right? Ray Parler was a phenomenal player in his heyday. Phenomenal player. And we signed him at Middlesbrough. And it was towards the end of his career. So the latter stage of his career. And when he came to us, he became an average player. And it's no disrespect to Ray Parler because he's a, he's a, he was a wonderful footballer. Fantastic guy. And I say that with the utmost respect. And, I, and I'm, I'm trying to use it as an example of the difference levels, the different levels. Arsenal, with a team that he had, whether it was Burkamp, Perez, Henri, the movement they had around him, you know, um, Gilberto Silva, you know, Edwin Midfield, you know, Fred Lundberg, the movement, the availability of players off the ball. So, and this was a great example. We went to, we went to our, our Highbury 
and we we got ourselves in a position where literally about three minutes before half time we found ourselves three one up at Arsenal at Highbury against Perez's Burkamp's Henri's unbelievable Arsenal side where we were we couldn't believe ourselves. And I think we, we got carried away ourselves because they they kicked off and basically dribbled through our team and Dennis Burkamp scored and made it three two at half time. We're winning three two. Ray Parler's playing for us at this stage, so we just signed him from Arsenal. Comes off at half time and we, we feel like we're losing. And the stadium's come to life. Players, Arsenal players are almost sprinting off to the change room. Come back out second half, we get annihilated. We lose 5-3. In the, in the change room afterwards, I look over to Ray Parler and he's sitting there and he, he's like he's punch drunk. He's like, he's just looking around just going, what has just happened there? Like, I've never experienced anything like it. Yeah. I looked over to him and I went, hey, Ray. He looked at me and he goes, what, what, the, what just happened there? And I go, mate, welcome to the other side. Yeah. He said, mate, all the year, all your career, you've played for them, right? Every time you get the ball, there's four, five, six players that are ready for the, you can pass. You just have to pick your pass. Which pass do you want to play? Pass it. You come to us, you know what it's like now. There's maybe two passes on. If you don't see the first one within a second or within a split second, that's gone. And there's maybe just the other pass left. You haven't got your options. You haven't no. got the same quality of players around you. You don't have the same clever players around you. You don't have the same movement. It, except that the quality of players are not going to be as good. But I don't think when you then are in that situation and you're experiencing it and you're up against the, the best of the best against Arsenal, you find yourself in an amazing position where in the past he hardly ever would have lost in that sort of position with Arsenal. Yeah. But he's come to Middlesbrough and we're a very, very different beast. And... It's, it's the reality of the rest of the league. It was them against the rest. Mm. Man United's the Arsenal against the rest of us. And, uh, and, I, and I think it was in the end, it was an acceptance that this is the level he's at now. And these are the type of players he's playing around. So he, I think he enjoyed the lesser pres- pressure of winning every week. But there was the pressure, the other, the other pressure, which is a very different pressure, of trying to stay in the league. And that's a very, very different type of pressure for any player to experience. So coming from a team that wins trophies every year to a team that just wants to stay in the league, mm. that pressure is different. And I've seen many, many players who have come from a higher level who can't handle that pressure. This hay diddle wine has just gone down like an absolute treat for mine. Uh, absolutely love a full-bodied Shiraz. Um, as the bottle's gone on, Mark, have you learned anything about it or you've ch- changed opinions or has it done different things towards the bottle of uh, the bottom of the bottle? It's one of those wines that um, when you first drink it, it's got a real kick. It feels quite violent, right? Um, feisty, really feisty. It feels like its first response is it wants to fight with you, get in your face. Um, there's a little bit of a lingering on it, mm-hmm. but then afterwards it kind of tapers out, and it it you, you, your palate really kind of grows. It really grows on it. Okay. And it's uh, it's, it's always got that strong feeling. You know you've got a you've had a challenge, but it's um, it's one that's worth taking. And it's, uh, it's got a really nice after sort of end to it. Okay. And I don't think there's an end to it. It's actually, it's still lingering. Mm-hmm. It, it's got such a long-lasting taste. And it has a long-lasting experience and feeling about it. Um, and I, I like, I like the, the quality. It's definitely a, a really good quality. So it's got feistiness. It's got, um, yeah, it's got real fight feistiness it's mm-hmm. got some really good qualities 
it uh, le- leaves a very long-lasting taste and effect mm-hmm. on you. And uh, so for me, it really is the best description I can give it in terms of footballers mm-hmm. is a Clint Dempsey. Nice. At training, he would be full on. Yep. Tackle players and, and hurt players and often be bad challenges. And the player would get up and complain, he'd want to fight with them. He'd get in their face and want to fight with them. He, he, used, he was used to fighting his whole life. You know, he went from trailer park to trailer park in the US. And, and I remember, you know, having lots of discussions with him about it and talking about his upbringing. And he just said that, you know, him and his brothers, they used to just get into fights all the time because that's how they dealt with things. He said, there was no discussions. It was, that's how you survived. That's how you had a street cred. That's how you, yeah, how you, you moved on, that you went, okay, that's fisticuff, let's sort it out, bang. Jeez. That was it. And that, that's what it felt like at the beginning. Yeah. It was that, it was quite, and you wanted to, wanted to really fight with you and let you know that it's there and it's strong and don't argue with it and I'm going to take control and everything else. And then it had the quality as well, had that finesse, that quality, uh, particularly towards the end. The more you got to know him, the more you got to realize that actually there's more to him. That feistiness was always there, never went away, always happened, but you just knew how to deal with it better. And that's that wine now. Very much. I I, I like that. I like that. I'd have to agree with most of those uh, those words. But one thing I didn't pick up was the the aggression and the the in-your-face side didn't resonate as much with me. I got more of a, a commanding flavor. I got more of still very much um, an aggressor, but not aggressive. Yep. So I felt uh, this person in particular, right from the start, will tell you what they want, when they want it, and how they want it. This wine takes absolute control. I think as well, I'd have to agree with you, is that it's just not only is it a little bit like that it's also got that that art sort of side that finesse it's actual you know it's got different bursts of flavor and it's and it's it's beautiful as well as it is uh a bit rough around the edges Uh, and then it it does it does stick around and you feel like possibly for an hour afterwards we'll still taste this wine yeah uh so for that and given the fact that this was a manager special i'm going to go with sir alex ferguson still resonates i'm sure you know often hangs around old trafford will make his presence known uh he certainly told his players what they wanted and he was an extremely commanding figure but he was he was something of beauty even though he didn't sound it when he spoke he was something something special and and of the highest of quality so do you think, I mean, knowing that Sir Alex Ferguson is a big, big wine drinker, mm-hmm. so do you think he'd like the, uh, the Hey Diddle wines? This, uh, I think he would absolutely. And which, just quietly, I think we should bring Alex Ferguson down to the Barossa Valley. <laughs> I think he'd love to go to the Barossa Valley. Wouldn't that be the weirdest, weirdest sort of bus trip ever? So you've got a guy from Tasmania, you've got Mark Schwartzer, two players from Port Adelaide, and Sir Alex Ferguson on a bus trip around the Barossa Valley Imagine trying that. reds. Imagine that. That'd be, wow. That'd be like a dream come true. Yeah, it would. For, who? For whom? <laughs> you. Exactly. I, think we, I think we can all agree. I think we can all agree it's me. Oh, me on that one. Uh, but no, beautiful bottle of wine. Please check them out. Certainly if you're in the Adelaide area, uh, go and check them out. Uh, hey, little wines, but also just keep an eye out in your local shops and, and have a look online because that was a, a great bottle. Um, and I'm just glad that it came in time and um, I didn't get in trouble, Mark, because no. you, you really told me that if this doesn't come, 
you know, it's gonna it's gonna leave a bit of pie in my face. And and the bottle actually, you, you can really relate to the bottle as well because it's quite short. It's quite a bit um, bit feminine, jumping into the bit, water, a bit a bit foolish. Yeah, um, and got a wax head as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just let me know. Uh, it was windy outside, wasn't it? Or is that what you're going for in a look? Is that what you meant when you said, when I was walking up to your house, you said, is it windy outside? And I thought you legitimately were asking for some sort of reason. Well, you just talking about my Lego haircut. I just watched you as you walked across through the fields. I saw you and thought, wow, it <laughs> well, looks like you've been in a full-blown gale force wind. We've been recording for quite a while now and you've not mentioned anything. What, what is your reaction to the hair? If you haven't seen it, it's very much a Motley Crue-esque type of, or yes. a Wayne's World, you, as you've touched yeah. on. Uh, what are your thoughts on I, it? I'm thinking more of a Wayne's World at this stage. Yep. I mean, I, can, I get, what you get where you're going with the Motley Crue look. Yep. Uh, I don't think you're quite there yet. No, that's but, okay though. But, but Wayne's World, definitely. And I said it, I think about two weeks ago, Wayne's World was definitely, yeah, definitely you. And uh, listen, I'm a big fan of Wayne's World. Love it. So. Thank you. Hats off. Hair off. Uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but also put the hat on. <laughs> yeah, probably put the beanie on. <laughs> so we'll be back same time, same place. Uh, hopefully with another great bottle of wine, as you said, Mark. It uh, just seems like right now the wines are just slowly raising the bar. So if you've got a wine that you'd like us to try, any sort of recommendations, no matter where it's from, you can find us on all major platforms. Thanks to Dr. Sport. Of course, you can get in touch with them if you've got a good recommendation. But Mark, it does have to be a good one, doesn't it? It does, because I've actually got our wine for next week. Really? A bottle of red from Cardiz from oh. the south of Spain. I brought it back with me. And it's a must-try. I actually haven't tried this one. So it's a bit of a lottery. So it'll okay. be an interesting one for both of us. Um, but I did taste some unbelievable local produce uh, over the last 10 days. And all, I'm telling you now, all under €5 Euros a bottle. You're kidding. Incredible. That is right in your little area, isn't Absolutely. it? That's right I up love, your strasser. I love a bargain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to it. That'll be next week. Again, if you do have any recommendations, uh, let us know. Also, let uh, at Optus Sport know. Thank you again to, to Hey Diddle Wines for the fantastic bottle of wine this week. And I think it's probably time that we decanter another one. What do you reckon? I think so. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.